0: Good morning, everyone. We're back with another edition of NSPS Radio Hour on a nice, warm, and sunny day somewhere. My guest today is John Matonich. Welcome, John.
1: Welcome. Thank you.
0: Are you uh, sunny in your part of the world today? <laughs> well, no, it's a
1: little cloudy, but but it's not bad. It's about 19 degrees instead of the 25 below it was yesterday.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not like a heat wave, right? <laughs> Yeah, I was um, wondering after I, I I met your friend in the airport the other night if he was actually going to make it home or not because I, I know you said it was pretty bad up that way.
1: It was. It was. We had a lot of a lot of blowing snow and cold weather, and, and so I think it straightened out a little bit later on in the evening. and He probably was able to get in. They're somewhat used to flying in that in that condition.
0: Yeah, right. He's he's a he's a local, so he's he's used to dealing with that kind of stuff. I forgot to start the show, by the way, by saying it's a great day to be a surveyor because that is a quote from John Matonich that I hear everywhere I go in this country. So your influence is far and wide, John.
1: (laughs) I appreciate that.
0: (laughs) For those who don't know, uh, John, I don't know when you began to use that phrase, but certainly the year you were president of NSPS and then beyond uh, as Governor Ferris Chair Uh, That was sort of uh, an intro for you when you went to to different places, and surveyors obviously love hearing that. Uh,
1: Yeah, they do, and it's it's true, though. It always is a great day to be a surveyor.
0: That's for sure. Well, I wanted to to have you on the show today because I I know and you know and perhaps uh, others of our listeners are aware that sometime soon, if not already official, you're going to be retiring and stepping down as, I guess, the official title of CEO at Rowe. Um, so wanted to uh, to share some time with you today just talk about your perspectives uh, from the past to present and moving on into the future on not on surveying its itself, obviously, and where we are in the profession, but on uh, on Sean Matonich as well. Uh, I've told people many, many times that all the traveling you and I have done together over the years, we... And, and our relationship uh, in the society and as friends we uh, I, I actually just used this in Minnesota last week that we determined that if you go far enough north the people think like southerners do and <laughs> that's,
1: that's very true <laughs>
0: and and I say that not not in any way other particularly political or otherwise it's just that the nature of how we grow up is very much the mm-hmm. same and yeah. but, but I think that has Allows us to have a perspective, particularly the ones of us who grew up in in rural areas, as you and I
1: did. Yeah, we sure did. And, and you're right. I I I think the uh, you know it was interesting when I first got active in NSPS, and you and I met. It was I don't know how many years ago, a long time ago. It seemed like I was always gravitating towards surveyors from the South, whether it was Virginia, uh, Georgia, Florida, Mississippi, Alabama, all the way along there. And we just had so much in common, uh, having having grown up in rural areas or working in rural areas, that that that's those are the folks that I just kind of gravitated to. And it was always it was always the guys from the south and me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, speaking of, of background and places where you grow up, uh, tell our audience uh, a bit about Esmer.
1: Well, Mesmer, um, or the city, little city that I grew up in, uh, probably about. 1,500 people now. I think it was about 2,200 when I was growing up. It's on the far west end of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. So it's about six miles from the point of, of if you ever saw a map of the Upper Peninsula, it, it, it uh, looks like a like a shark, I guess. And, and the nose of the shark is pointing right into Wisconsin. We're about six miles from the Wisconsin border. When I grew up there, uh, born and raised, in fact, I'm only about 20 miles now. I'm sitting in the Sitting in my cottage now, looking at the frozen lake, watching snowmobiles go by about twenty miles home. hour. <laughs> <now. laughs>
0: I guess the lake's probably good and frozen by now.
1: Oh gosh, yeah, yeah, it is. There's a, this was a this is a big weekend uh, for the businesses, the, the little resorts and restaurants and bars and gas stations and sports shops. This is a big weekend for them. Uh, President's weekend is a a, a really a, a big time for folks to come up and and. Uh, Visit the area on snowmobile and and recreating things like that. So this is a pretty busy. We've had quite a few snow machines go past, but past the front window of the cottage this weekend.
0: Is that big? Um, I don't even know what to call it exactly. The 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 ski. I call it a ski hill, but it's not a hill. It's, it's actually a man-made structure that you showed me. Is it still in use?
1: All oh, the the ski flying. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, in fact, it's being revived. Uh, uh, what Kurt's referring to is a is a facility called copper peak and it's been it's been in the news the, the last uh, couple months because they're they're looking at making it a year-round uh, situation with some training and ski flying there's only one in the northern hemisphere and that's that's copper peak it's it's a uh, uh, if you can think of the Olympic ski jumping this these distances for ski flying are about three times as long as ski jumping so it's a it's quite a Quite a magnificent facility, and and uh, it's really it's it's located uh, north of, of my hometown in Bessemer, between there and Lake Superior, and uh, it it's going to become a, a training facility for all types of different all kinds of different events and activities, and you know an attempt to get it back on the back on track. But when I was uh, growing up, it was uh, I remember ESPN came in to, to televise the ski jumping event, and there were people from all over the world. That were in ski jumping it was interesting, but if you ever get a chance to visit it, the one the one really interesting to me the interesting part of it is it's a if you stand at the bottom and look up it, it's quite scary just looking just looking at it. And my father, who worked for a local surveyor uh, when I was quite young, actually slope chained that about four different times. I remember every time I went by, he'd tell, he, he would tell me about having to go up and down that that mountain <laughs> yeah. and measure the distances for the for the landing on the on the ski flying area. That's so pretty cool.
0: Now, it, do I remember correctly that from the end the bottom where you come off, it, you, it just, just doesn't keep going straight down. There's some space before you actually hit the part where people land, right?
1: Oh, yes, yeah. I mean, the, the lift is, yes, the, 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 the end of the the end of the jump is quite a bit off the ground uh, before you, and so you've got to kind of maneuver that and then, and then land on the landing, which just has a pretty good slope. I, I don't remember the exact slope, but it's, it's pretty steep. And then uh, goes down to the bottom where you can stop. It's a it's open uh, in the summertime where you can actually take the chairlift up to the top of the mountain and then take the elevator up to the top of the scaffold. And you can see three states and Canada from the from the top of that of that facility. Wow. It's it's pretty amazing. It really is. Yeah. You know, you can see Duluth, Duluth, Minnesota is about 120 miles away. It looks like you're in the harbor. <laughs> that's how that's how visible it is.
0: Well, that's pretty cool. You mentioned <laughs> your 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 dad. You have uh, several siblings. Are, is one of your brothers still in law enforcement?
1: Yes, yeah, actually, my, my uh, I'm the oldest of, of four. My, my sister and I are a year and a half apart. My two younger brothers are about a year and a half apart, and there's about six years between the two, each group of two. My mother always said that my dad didn't want her to go back to work, so that's why they had <laughs> the other two boys. But my my next youngest brother is actually the county sheriff here in Colgibbert County. He's been in, involved in law enforcement pretty much all of his adult life, and and was elected sheriff last election. I think he's up for election coming up here pretty quick. So.
0: Now, as you and I are, are sitting here having our conversation, I, it, it reminded me of the fact that now in our elections, I try to get the candidates, particularly the candidates who are running for uh, president-elect, because, of course, it's a successive uh, chair, uh, chair on into the presidency, and uh, talk about their thoughts on surveying and what have you. I, I probably should spend more time with, with those folks talking about their upbringing because I think you learn a whole lot more about where people come from if you know more about where they come from. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think that's a, that's a great idea. And, I, of course, the obvious question anybody would ask was why surveying, but maybe you already answered that when you talked about your dad.
1: <laughs> well, you know, that, that's a good point. My, my dad, uh, again, in, in this area of... Uh, as it is in a lot of rural areas, it's not a there's not a lot not a wealth of jobs. It's a you know it's a pretty difficult place to make a living. And my father worked in a, we back a number of years ago. This was a, a, a relatively popular area for iron underground iron mines. And over time, those slowly dwindled out. Where, where the mining companies moved off into other places and uh, left people in you know, the area that was quite. Popular and quite strong back in the twenties and thirties when the mines were so strong, uh, you know has slowly dwindled down to just a, an area based on tourism, based on forestry. Uh, there's still a little bit of mining over at Barquette, um, but but it's a it's a struggle at times to make a living. So my my father was uh, found himself in inability in to get a mining job, and ended up working in the high school for most of his life as a janitor, <laughs> and, and uh, which is you know raising four kids as a pushing a broom is not necessarily a an easy thing to do. So as most good youpers they you would uh, work someplace else as well, you know, paint houses or or do whatever. And he did a number of other things on the weekends and the evenings to try to make ends meet. And one of them is he would occasionally work for a surveyor. And I remember when I was about nine or 10 years old, he said, I want you to uh, come with me today. And I'm working with Mr. Netsbajani today. And I want you to come and visit with him. And and, he was going to show you some equipment and, and I was I found it interesting because my father never called anybody Mr. He was he was a pretty independent guy. And but for some reason, even though he knew this this surveyor for, for a long, long time, and the guy who lived only lived a couple blocks from us, his law was Mr. Nestle Johnny. And I asked him why once. I said I said, You'd call the bank president by his first name, but you call the surveyor Mr. And he said, Because this is the gentleman who tells you where your land is And he and I thought that was pretty cool. I really did and I I really thought it was an opportunity for me to stay home. I I, I really didn't want to leave the area, and I thought that serving was a good opportunity for me to to get an education, uh, get some experience, and and be able to live in the area that I grew up in. Um, Unfortunately, when I I graduated from Michigan Tech in 1981, it was the last time the the country saw a pretty bad economy uh, compared to as as we have in in the late 2000s. And I ended up taking a job downstate Michigan. I've been there ever since until just recently when I retired. <laughs> so I'm back home now. It just took a while to get back.
0: I think we probably all have some aspiration for that. Um, I I think about that quite often myself. As you know, my, my son and his mm-hmm. family live in, in my hometown. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I have a hard time wondering what, what I'm going to do if I go there. I don't have a, a lake out back near where I grew up (laughs) but but uh I think we do all have some kind of aspiration and uh, they say you can't ever go home but you can and even though I may or may not end up there at some point uh still strong affinity for where I grew up I think anybody who grew up in small towns like like we did you always feel, feel a fabric a part of that town even though um even though you're not there, I, I'm going to have my 50th high school reunion this this summer, and looking forward to seeing a lot of folks I haven't seen for a long time. Um, but I think those things mean more to people in our situation than maybe people who go to high school and their high school class is probably as many as there were in my entire high school <laughs> or yours. Maybe, so. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, I, I uh, agree, and, and and you're right. I, I I know that even though I have, have lived in Downstate Michigan in about the same location for about 35 years, when somebody says, where's home, I still say Bessemer, <laughs> which you'll yep. find interesting that they still, but that, that's the first place I think of when somebody says, where's home. So yep, I think small town, America, small town America is a pretty special place to
0: be. Sure is. Well, we're right at time for our first break, so let's go do that, and we'll come back shortly. Attention today. surveyors. Are you aware that that yellow stick you're using is saving lives all over the world? Yes, that pinfinder is clearing fields and villages of unexploded cluster bombs and other hidden explosives in over 25 countries. Johnstead, in cooperation with international mine action programs, provides free locators to where they are most urgently needed. To find out how you can help, visit the NSPS website at nsps.us.com. And thank you. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio.
2: Quick Stakes or go to quickstake.com that's q-u-i-k-s-t-a-k-e dot com and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for Quickstakes today. Whether
3: cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Attention, surveyors. Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next-generation magnetic locator the maggie combines the best features of two flagship shunstead products the sensitivity and precision of the ga52 cx and the visual display and single-handed operation of the ga92xt contact your dealer for details or go to com. shunstead the best just got better
4: you're listening to America's WebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio Thank you for listening.
0: As we were going to break, John, you were talking about school, and you're you were fortunate, I think, to be relatively close. I don't know exactly what the mileage is over to Michigan Tech from from Bessemer, but fortunate, I think, to have such a a strong and well respected school close by.
1: Oh, it really was it. it was. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking because I'm thinking about a story of, <laughs>
0: I'll tell you in
1: a second. But Michigan Tech is uh, about two hours away from my hometown, so it was really nice to. You, you were far enough away that you were away, but you could certainly be close enough if you wanted to be home for supper on a Friday night and spend the weekend. You certainly could, and that was uh, that was really interesting. I, I, I always appreciated that, and I used to tease the guys that lived out state that they, you know, they would eight-hour travels, you know, eight and a half or nine-hour travels to get back home. And then, of course, I moved downstate, and I'm traveling eight and a half, nine hours to come to come home oh, for 35 years. <laughs> so I think they got the best of the deal. And uh, <laughs> but I had the reason I was chuckling was when uh, when I was in high school, the American Legion program had a program called Boys State, where they would nominate high school students, usually between their junior and senior year, and you would go down to the campus of Michigan State University and hold a, like a ten day. Introduction to government, and, and you would actually have cities and, and counties and, and state legislatures, and, and you would run for office and you would have platforms, and it was, a, it was an excellent program to introduce young guys into what's it all about to, to be involved in the government. And and uh, I was fortunate enough to be selected from my local American Legion to represent Bestware and go down to that program. And I really liked, felt, kind of fell in love with the Michigan State campus. It's a huge campus. 40-some thousand students, if I remember correctly. and Really, really big campus, but I really liked it. So I thought, oh, gosh, I should, I should apply to go here. And so I did. And at the time, Michigan had hadn't quite changed your law yet to the four-year degree. What you would get is a four-year civil engineering degree or a four-year other type of degree. And then you could take a survey option and get licensed. So I applied for admission to Michigan State uh, shortly after I got back, again, the fall of my senior year of high school. And I get a letter oh, about a month later and it said, congratulations, you're a Spartan. So I, my dad was, was reading a newspaper or something and I went over to him and I said, look at this dad, I got this, I got this letter that I'm, I got accepted into Michigan State University. And he said, uh, have you applied to Michigan Tech yet? And I said, no, I'm going to, I just haven't gotten around to it. He said, I think you should do that relatively soon. And and I thought, okay, I can do that. And I said, geez, Dad, why? is it because it's a better school, which which I do think it is. Sorry, Michigan State grads, but I think Tech's better. <laughs> and uh, and he said, no, because if you flunk out, I don't have so far to go to get you. <laughs> so, so that, that was, uh, even, though I, even though I was in the top ten of my high school class and graduated number one in my service, <laughs> he, he was just concerned he would have to travel nine hours to come get me if I flunked out of Michigan
0: State. So,
1: uh, I always consider well, that one of his better pieces of advice was to go to Michigan Tech.
0: Well, you know, speaking of that, his thoughts about having to come and get you—that's one of the things that's always sort of been intriguing to me a little bit because I know for you guys uh, traveling back and forth, it's a long, long way. But when I when I talk to you about it, it's almost like it's no further than me going from where I live to my hometown, which is half the distance, and, and that seems like a long time to me sometimes. <laughs> so. Well, we, we, I, I,
1: Go ahead. I say we've done it for so long, and and it's it's uh. And many times we'll do it for a short period, almost a long weekend. Leave on a Friday, come back on a Monday, and but we have little mile markers that we know. If once we get here, it's, you know we've got you know five hours to go. If we go here, we've got four hours to go, and <laughs> and that kind of stuff. And, and over the years, we've been very very fortunate to to not have too many issues. And, and we're heading back tomorrow. As a matter of fact, I've got some business to take care of downstate, so we'll be leaving tomorrow. I think there's be a little bit of snow, but we'll take our time, and you know, it'll, it's always we always have a good conversation, and it gives us a chance to get caught up and stuff like that. So, it,
0: so in yes,
1: of course in the summertime, with... I'm sorry,
0: no, go
1: ahead. I gonna say in the summertime, that the weather's nice, it's it's just a beautiful drive. I mean, it's, you travel along Lake Superior, you travel along Lake Michigan, you travel along Lake Huron. It's gorgeous, gorgeous, and of course, the Mackinac Bridge is a, just an absolutely beautiful sight to see. Just just wonderful to visit. So it's, those are always good things for us.
0: I recall years ago I came up uh, to an a MSPS meeting uh, there at, in Ma- at Mackinac, in, in the town, not at the resort. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and we, we were going to do a little workshop, and something changed in, in the room availability in the hotel, and we ended up doing my little session in a railroad car.
1: I remember that. Um, I'm, I'm, downtown. <laughs> yeah. but remember when we played is, golf in a rainstorm?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, for a couple holes yeah. anyway. Yeah, that's
1: right, that's right. <laughs> it, it
0: was really, really a, a big storm there. But I think one of the things that always stuck with me about that trip was the bridge because when Sandra and I came across the bridge, it was foggy.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: it was kind of eerie, actually, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to be going across that bridge. And you could still see the water, but, you know, there was fog uh, up in the air and, but it was it was quite the sight even in the fog, and then when we left it was on a clear day, so we got a really good look but uh that's one of those bridges that for people who have any kind of fears about crossing over bodies of water on bridges uh it might be a little unnerving for them i think
1: well in fact, I was watching uh, I was in uh I had to go I was out of town last week uh, no, oh I think it was in in uh Uh, Detroit for a meeting down there, and I had to stay overnight. Went to get a a sandwich or something, and the the little bar restaurant had the TV on, and they had a one of those informational programs. I can't remember the name of it, but it was uh, like a accurate reporter kind of a program, and they were they were previewing the scariest bridge in the country. (laughs) That was the commercial. I thought, oh, (laughs) and sure enough, it was the Mackinac Bridge. Somebody had classified it as the scariest bridge in the country, and. But they do have, and they, in fact, they were filming a lady that was just terrified of bridges, period, and, and certainly was going to have a problem going across the Mackinac. But the, the bridge authority actually has drivers. If, you, if you, you call ahead, they'll actually have somebody meet you, and they'll drive you across the bridge, so you don't have to do any You know, throw a blanket over your head and hide on the floor or something like that. So you can hide, <laughs> right? That's,
0: yeah, yeah. that's what you want to do. That's
1: true.
0: <laughs> you know, you were mentioning when you when you got out of school pretty quickly, you, you went downstate to work. I, I'm assuming that that companies like the one you went to work in uh, came to the school to recruit or were you just looking for jobs or how that work?
1: No, actually they did. The, the, it was a when I joined the firm um, in 81, it was uh, about 25 people. so it's a pretty small firm. a year later, because of the bad economy, we were down about 15 people. Uh, but, but Dave Rowe, the founder of the company, actually did come to tech. He was and he's a tech grad himself, 1951 tech grad. And uh, Dave came to recruit. He recruited a couple of engineers, and he recruited myself as a surveyor, the first um, baccalaureate degree surveyor the company ever hired. And um, so and I went to work down there. And was, I've been with the company ever since. It'll be 35, 35 years this year that I've been with the same firm. Really, really been good to me. It's been a great company for me.
0: Now, were they in the same location when I first came up, not the downtown Flint one, but the one kind of on the outskirts?
1: No, actually, we were, for about 30 years, the company was in a small suburb uh, northwest side of Flint called Flushing. Uh, mm-hmm. been there
0: for, they were there a
1: long, long time. And then in the mid-'90s, we built a new headquarters in the southwest part of, of southwest suburb. And uh, and then in 07 or 08, uh, we moved into downtown Flint, into, into a new, well, it's a renovated uh, buildings in downtown Flint. But we have other offices in Michigan, but that's our main, that's our corporate office.
0: Right. Yeah, that's, I visited, I think you had probably just moved in when I came to visit that office, the new one.
1: Oh, yeah, I imagine it would have been, sure.
0: And uh, I, I remember, I think there was some other construction going on within that same building overall at the time for some other things being added or maybe just opened.
1: I think the ground floors were, were being worked on. We, we're, we're on the second and third floor. It's a four-story. It was three buildings that got put together and then created four, one single four-story building. And we're on the second and third floor. Uh, the top floor is loft apartments, and the ground floor is a retail, or was retail. It's office space. It's the, In fact, Live a local newspaper, is on one part of it, and a packaging company's company headquarters is on the other side of it. I think they were working on those at the time.
0: So with the rotation in the company in terms of of leadership, I know you've you've been in your position now for quite a few years. Is that something that the company sets up, or does each one who comes in set their own time frame?
1: Well, we've had a transition plan for a long time. Uh, When I first became one of the principals of the company back in 92, I think it was, one of the things I thought was important was for us to put together a transition plan. So, we kind of developed a calendar that that when somebody becomes a principal, um, we would just say, "What are you thinking about?" Just not going to hold you to it yet, but what are you thinking about? How long do you want to work? What year would you like to retire? And those kinds of things. And and that just gets us something on the on the chart. But as as that time approaches, then we sit down together and say, "Okay, now now we want to lock this in so that so that we can plan for it." And we did that a number of years ago, and and I kind of planned my date. I had a uh, our director of, our director of surveying, uh retired last year, and I've got another principal retiring next year. Um, but that was all pre-programmed, so that we could just, we could plan for the transition. We could find the right folks to, to take those responsibilities over and have some transition time to do that. So it's uh, it's something that's that we we do it on purpose so that we can encourage our younger staff, especially the ones who are very aggressive and very uh, they they want to move and those kinds of things that. That there will be opportunities for management. That that, there, that folks aren't going to be here, um, you know, when they're when they're quite a bit up there in, in seniority. That they'll they'll make make room for other folks to try their hand at management, and that's a that's been a good recruitment tool for us. And that, that doesn't always fit every company dynamic, but it fits ours.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that it would be, and and actually not a a, a bad general type plan for almost any company because sometimes. And and I think that's why a lot of of, uh, really valuable assets uh, end up leaving companies because they don't know what's looking, you know, what's looking like down the road, or and some other opportunity comes along where maybe they could have stayed at that if they'd had something like you guys put together.
1: Yeah, we're 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 fortunate again. It it, not that it's the the model for everybody; it just works for us, and and it's been been a good thing for us. Uh, we've, We've been we've had success with it. We've been able to recruit and retain good staff because of it, and, and give them opportunities to share in the management responsibilities and look for opportunities to be in upper management in the future. is just It's just been a successful thing for us.
0: So any is there a mechanism to do this, or has anybody done it at all? Um, and for lack of a better term, I'm going to use uh, the word emeritus, but is there a place for someone after they've gone through the, the CEO uh, position to be an advisor on the board or anything like that?
1: Well, actually, I'm, I'm going to retain. Uh, I've been chairman of the board for the last few years, and I'll retain that for the next few years, uh, just to be able to be there to help if if needed. Uh, I don't. I don't have an office, and in the, in the, I don't have any place to sit, which is fine. I don't have a coffee cup left anymore, which is fine. Uh, but I'm available. You know, I'm available if they need anything, and, and I've had a couple of calls. where there was a, you know, a little bit of the institutional memory and, and those kinds of things. and that, that's, that's what I'm here to do, is not, not to stand in the way, but to help if needed.
0: Yeah, and that makes really good sense, and it's good to be able to maintain those relationships and, and lend that, uh, that uh, memory, if you will, or experience for those who are perhaps, as we, as we all know, there's hardly ever anything new. It's just a new way of seeing things, so. When we get back from break, uh, I want to talk a little more about that and then uh, some other topics, so
3: we'll be back Sure. Want to know if your Seanstead locator is still under warranty? Go to Seanstead.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? Click on Repair Department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to Specials and Sales under the Buy Now tab at www.schonstedt.com.
2: Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden steak. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Steaks, your bike friendly steak.
3: With all the back and forth in today's politics, It seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Attention, surveyors. Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next-generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA 52CX, and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA ninety-two XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to com. Seanstead, the
4: best just got better. You're listening to America's WebRadio dot com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
0: We're back with John Matonich uh, talking about uh, growing up and history and schooling and and jobs and those kind of things. One of the things uh, that I think is important, and I think probably was something that happened uh, through through Roe in your years there. It, I'm always happy when I see employers encourage. There are younger people coming along to become involved in in their profession itself into society activities and that kind of thing. And I'm, I have to assume that's promoted and has been at Rowe.
1: Oh, it sure has. I, I, I was very fortunate that I had company leadership that, that was active themselves in their professions, whether it was the engineering profession or the surveying profession, um, and then encouraged other staff members to get involved as well, whether it's certainly at the chapter level, at the state level and at the national level. And, and uh, it, it's something that has been carried through for, you know, that our com- the company's 50, how are we, 54 years old, almost 55 years old. And uh, I've been around for three quarters of that. And it's always been that way. And I hope and I believe it will carry on that way long after I'm gone. And the Wallace and Cal look for ways for folks to give back to the profession and encourage them to participate in some way, shape, or form.
0: And I, I think when, when that kind of thing happens, you end up getting some really good leaders for the for the profession and for the society. And that's not to say that you don't get good leaders from all, area, all over because I know a lot of really good leaders who basically come out of one-person companies. Sometimes I wonder how people are able to devote as much time as they do uh, from really small companies, and they're great people. But I guess from the perspective of mentorship, um, it is really good situation when you have one
1: like you guys have had. We've been we've been really lucky, but I agree with you. I, I, this, this you know good good leadership is not a um, basis of a size of a company at all. I I know some tremendous tremendous leaders of survey companies as you mentioned that are, that came from one and two and three man shops or person shops, and and they they're just phenomenal leaders. So that that's a size of a company doesn't doesn't mean anything. It's the caliber and the quality of the person involved, and, and we've all seen. Just great leaders from across the country that that were, as you point out, were either working on their own or working in small situations, and it never it never modified or altered their ability to
0: be leaders that are great leaders, nor their dedication. I would I would add that's for sure. Mm-hmm. While, we're, while we're talking about societies, this is off our topic a little bit, but the thought came to me: Do you ever do you hear from Raleigh anymore? Like,
1: occasionally, yeah, occasionally. Uh, you know, Raleigh was this. A, 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 a the executive director of the Michigan Surveyor Society for a long time, 20, 20 some years. I, I was uh, my claim to fame is I was on the executive committee of the state board when we hired him. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I always, I always reminded him of that. I said, you yeah. know, I hired you, <laughs> and uh, but uh, he, he. Uh, I'll get an occasional email from him. In fact, uh, we are having a little get together uh, downstate next week. I think it is uh, for for my retirement, and uh, Raleigh's going to be one of the. He's asked to be one of the speakers. I'm, a little dismayed i'm not sure what he's going to say he knows too much about me uh, but but, uh, he, but he has asked he has asked to speak so he's going to be doing some speak
0: yeah he I, I get an email from him not not regularly but every now and then he'll send an email down and catch up a little bit and i always always liked raleigh he was one of those guys who i think was really dedicated to the to the society
1: oh yeah i mean it, he he worked hard at at making it a, a great organization and an organization that surveyors wanted to belong to. And he did, and he did. We had great conferences, great sessions, great seminars, and a strong membership. So I, I credit Raleigh with, with his ability to uh, hold things together and move things forward. He did a super job. With,
0: with your leadership in NSPS uh, as an officer and certainly in the, in the government affairs side of things, um, was that something that was always of interest to you growing up or did, was it something you got more involved with, maybe through your company or through the society or you know, some, some people like crazy people like me kind of had an interest in it since we were kids, but not everybody has. I was just curious if that was the case with you?
1: I, I know, I, I, think, I think it was a matter of um, uh, again encouragement from the company to uh, as, as we always encourage all of our staff, you know, there's some pretty sharp people, and I've always said, why wouldn't you want to be in some type of a leadership position, whether it's through your local church, through your school, through your community, through your state organization, whatever the case may be. You know, they're, they're sharp folks, and why do not why not try to, to help, help your organization be better? So I kind of got active when I got active in the chapter level, and, and then uh, at the state level uh, found that really interesting. And then when I went to my first uh, national meeting, even though I had been a member for a long time and, you know to, to actually go to a national meeting was really exciting to me and really opened up my eyes. I met some wonderful wonderful people yourself included and and it just it just spurred an interest in what can we do to make this even a better
0: organization
1: and can I help that and I tried to did everything I could to try to do and that's
0: one of the things I think is really important for an organization in in the 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 political side if that's what we want to call it is to have people who are not only interested in it, but um, have the interest enough to really look into the issues. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's a, I think that's just so important because, you know, you can know that issues exist, <laughs> but really delving into them and, and sort of guiding the association, if you will, or at least advising on what these things mean is, is so important to us. And as you know, historically... We as an organization haven't always had uh, the outside help like we do now with with John's company,
1: right? Um, right. Well, or, or even
0: yeah. even some you know sometimes we've had internal help, but that kind of went away. I don't think we had a an internal government affairs director since probably the early '90s until you and I right. uh, did our research and, and got Lawrence to start with. So. Um, it was even more important during those times that we have strong leadership within within membership, but it's also important to still have that strong membership even if you do have a consultant.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and I've always felt one of the great assets that NSPS has had and still has today is we have such a diverse membership. And, and diversity is a good thing because not everybody is an expert in everything, but, but there are experts in all the aspects of what we do within the membership of NSPS. So finding those right experts to handle that particular topic, whether it's BLM issues or whether it's USGS issues or whether it's uh, cadastral issues or, or whether it's Alta issues or whatever the case may be, we have people within the membership of NSPS that are truly truly well respected experts and that we can rely on to get good counsel and good guidance and that, that's just to me that's just super.
0: Yeah and certainly since we've gone to the joint membership program, I, to me one of the biggest benefits of that whole program, was the availability of people within our membership who are politically astute and have connections with their legislators that are helpful to us in getting our points across that we we would never have before, and those relationships cover both sides of the, spe- the spectrum, so to speak. I won't say both sides of the aisle necessarily, but uh, it, that's true to some degree. And, and one of the things you don't want to ever be as pegged as, oh, that group, they're just, all they do is
1: deal with those guys. You never really want right. that to be the case. No, you know, you're you right. There are Again, we have some very, very astute members of NSPS who, who have great relationships with, with uh, congressional leaders and congressional members, and, and that's helped us a lot, to, if nothing else, to get our message out and our concerns out and, and to have a voice and have somebody actually pay attention and listen to them. And uh, John does a great job of orchestrating all that fail uh, you know, to as our, as our lobbyist or as our consultant, but it's still the members that carry the water. It's so they they carry the day.
0: And I think that aspect of of um, our associational life has been helped a lot by our our newsletter because we're oh, yeah. able to get issues out in front of the whole membership, and people will then start writing in. And so it's not it's not like a uh, a hunting expedition trying to find someone. Uh, oftentimes times it People will go ahead and contact us, which really is really helps us a bunch.
1: I agree. I agree. It's um, it's just becoming. It's always been a, a, a dedicated group, and it's becoming a, a even stronger group today. Which which is very to me. It, it it's just a something that that I that I really really look at and admire. and really do. It's I, I see the organization moving just in tremendous direction.
0: It's not exactly um, political, but. Um, kind of connected the political side. How long has it been now that, that you got appointed to the Department of Natural Resources or Commission, or Natural Resources Commission, I guess it is? Tell yeah, us a bit about so, that.
1: Well, in, in uh, 2010, uh, the, the governor at the time um, uh, appointed me to Michigan's Natural Resources Commission. And the Natural Resources Commission here in Michigan is a seven-member body that has statutory authority over the method and and uh, number of, of taking a fish and game. So we, we set uh, seasons, we set method of take, uh, we set the, the limits, uh, those kinds of things, but we're also uh, statutorily charged with being, a will say, a quasi-advisor to the director of the department. So when we, we have monthly public meetings, we'll have folks there testifying. Um, on a number of issues, not all of them are game-related or fish-related. Many times they're they're related to mining activities or they're related to park activities or they're related to trail activities, things that we don't necessarily have statutory responsibilities for, but we have advisory responsibilities, and it's a good place, it's a good forum um, to have them and have a a place for people to go to say, I I don't think we're cutting enough trees or I think we're cutting too many trees or, or whatever the case may be. And and that's uh, something that the, that we look forward to and have had that opportunity for the for the public to have a forum to comment on it. But at the same time, we use available science to to uh, evaluate proposals for uh, whatever the case. In fact, there's there's uh, one just we had a meeting last Thursday in Detroit, and and uh, the the one issue that that was before us for action was somebody uh, not somebody groups had proposed. Michigan allows uh, suppressors to own suppressors, but they never allow them to be used for hunting. And so we had some demonstrations. We had some videos. We had it took several months to do some research on whether it made sense. We we interviewed some other states. We talked to some other uh, conservation officer departments to see if there were issues and really didn't find anything. So at the last meeting, we actually approved the ability for, for Michigan's hunting community to use suppressors uh, for hunting here in Michigan, and uh, those are the kind of issues that we take that we take part of. And then uh, the current governor, Governor Snyder, uh, actually appointed me the chairman of the commission uh, last January, about a year ago, January. So this is I'm starting my second year as chairman of the commission. And I know the governor likes to change that around a little bit, so I serve at his pleasure. For, as far as the chairman, I've got a couple more years on my on my term, and uh, that's a, that's because it's a governor's uh, appointment. It's certainly up to him to decide. Um, whether that goes on or whether it doesn't, and I respect that. I, I knew the rules going into it. It's been it's been an interesting and just a wonderful experience. I have met a lot of great people. I worked with work with the Department Michigan DNR, I think is top notch, just absolutely top notch. And I, I spent my life. I always joke about this. I spent my life in the woods. I spent my life hunting, fishing, camping, hiking. Uh, of course, from my side, you would. I didn't hike very much, uh, but ATV hey, riding and, and and those kinds of things. And one of the things I first learned when I got out of the commission was how little I truly knew about the outdoors. <laughs> I mean, I really, really, really learned some great things from some great people, both from yeah. the stakeholder side and from the department side.
0: Well, let's go to our last break, and we'll come back shortly.
3: Okay. Attention, surveyors! Schaustad announces the Maggie, the next-generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products: the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details, or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead,
4: the best just got better. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like.
2: Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not... Get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to QuickState.com. that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for Quickstakes today.
3: Want to know if your Seanstead locator is still under warranty? Go to Seanstead.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? Click on Repair Department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to Specials and Sales under the Buy Now tab at www.schonstedt.com.
4: You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
0: Talking about your experiences on the on the NCR uh, NRC, um, I guess you are aware that as more and more people around the country are learning that of your retirement, um, the the betting has already begun on when you're going to run for office somewhere. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I think that's funny I uh, no, I I'm pretty happy uh, uh, I'm going get I, I hope to get involved in a few things uh, up here in my home area that I can help with uh, you know some local uh, nonprofit boards or something and I'm still active in um, in the Wisconsin society and I've been active in the Wisconsin society for the last five or six years I'm actually I'm currently the state treasurer for the for WSLS and, and uh, it's it's close to the, the meetings are within about two hours of my places here in the West End. So, it, and I've been licensed in Wisconsin for a long time, and it, it was it's an opportunity for me to, to meet some new folks, which I have, and just marvelous. I've, I've, as much as I care about the surveyors in Michigan and, and other states, I, I certainly care about the ones on my, my friends in Wisconsin. So, I'm going to stay active in that as long as I can, and I'm still on a few boards downstate, and I'll do that again as long as I can, where it's logistically makes sense and I can still contribute. But other than that, I'm. I'm Trying to open up my wood shop up here at some point in time, and that, that's uh, what I hope to spend as much time as I can. Besides uh, doing a little hunting, and a little fishing, and going to camp every now and again.
0: You know, Actually, the, the, the wood shop was something I'd written down. I, I wanted to talk to you about because I know you and I have had discussions about it uh, before, and it's been something you've had an, an interest in doing. And um, I don't was that a hobby you picked up as as a kid, or did you get into it later? Because I know you had the facility there. In the Davidson house
1: too, and then moved stuff north. Yeah, yeah it, it it actually it, it took took wood shop like most high school kids. At you know, some finally goes in eighth grade, and that was okay. And you built your bookends, and you you built your um you know your your wooden ashtray, which you certainly don't do that anymore, but you did back then, and those kinds of things. And and I never and then I kind of put it aside. Well, uh, in, the, in the early eighties, eighty 82, 83 for Christmas, I got a circular saw. And I just bought a house, and I got this circular saw for Christmas. And next thing you know, I bought a table that you could mount a circular saw on and make it kind of a quasi-table saw. Then I kind of did this, and I kind of built that. And next thing you know, I've got a shop and a whole bunch of tools and, and uh, <laughs> all kinds of things. So I've been doing it for quite a while, for a long time. And I've really, really enjoyed it. And, and uh, my wife, Stephanie, does does the finishing for me. She's a marvelous finisher. Which it, And I've, I have the patience for the for the construction and she's got the patience for the finishing, so it's a, it's a pretty good match.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's always good to have both both of those cover, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah it sure yeah. is. And, yeah. So
0: did you, um, I know when we were first started talking about you having the shop up there, you were, you were having a little bit of discussion about maybe having it in, in a building there on the property. And you just, what made you decide to go to town, or was that always part of the plan?
1: No, I, I, I looked at I looked at what the cost would be not only to build a new building here on the on where I am at the lake, but also having the continued costs of you know paying lake level taxes and things like that. Uh, and this and this kind of ties me back to my hometown. It would be a reason for me to get up in the morning, uh, jump in a shower, get a cup of coffee, jump in a truck, and head to town. Uh, it's going to be about a 30-35 minute drive, and I'll catch up on the local news and and have a coffee and go work in a shop and, and maybe. I'm gonna run into some of my guys I grew up with, or my brothers, or whatever. And, and uh, it, but it does tie me back to town. It's a it's a marvelous building. It, it's it's one of the first buildings built in town. It was built in 1886 or 1885. I've got the history of the building. Um, we're doing some work on it now, and nothing's square, nothing's level, <laughs> all those wonderful things. So it'll make it interesting. I start putting tools in there, but you know, but it's been a lot of fun.
0: Now, I was going to say, putting wood, woodworking machines in level may be a, a thing you desire, right?
1: Yeah, I, I'm going to try. I think I'm going to be challenged a little bit, but we'll, we'll make it work <laughs> one, one way or the other.
0: Yeah. Speaking of that, Billy, it was just such a uh, an amazing coincidence for me to run into Mr. Uh, Abelman the other night in the airport. And, you know, oh, and yeah. Your place is on the same block. and. And I think I mentioned this to you. I, I'm pretty sure his store is the one we went in when I bought my Cromer store Cromer it Cromer is, at
1: It is. It is. And the Ableman Clothing Company has been around almost as long as that building. I think they were within a few years that his family, I think he's third generation or maybe fourth generation, that, that have owned this clothing store in my hometown. And they've been a marvelous, just 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 a marvelous business in town for a long time. And, and uh, you're right. That's, that's where you bought your store Cromer. We stopped at the Abelman Company it's a it's a place to it's, I, I always chuckle about that because it's it, it's had such a marvelous history and, and they and they do a, a fairly good business which I really appreciate and, and I push them well all the time I hope uh, hope I can add something to it and bring bring a little business to town as well
0: it, it's just so nice to go in a place like that that's a throwback in a sense to the way that kind of store was you know when we were all growing up and then of course in our part of the country and probably the the, the lower part of Michigan as well they all got consumed and taken over and it's just refreshing to see that they, that something like that still exists.
1: Oh yeah, yeah I, I agree, I mean uh, the, the, for those folks that like history and that's most surveyors, if not all surveyors uh, it, I love the history of small towns and, and the history of buildings and the history of businesses and, and, and Edelman Company is one of them that, that has a, just a marvelous, marvelous history um, and, and something that's, that's really kind of neat to, to learn about
0: well, we've got a few minutes left here I wanted to spend a little time talking with you about your your thoughts on the on the profession and the future and and uh, you know we have Michigan tech isn't one of those schools but a lot of our schools are challenged in terms of having enough students to to support a program and of course finding instructors becomes more and more difficult um, and um, everybody's worried about the the falling numbers it seems and there's a big question out there about numbers, and I I don't know how we would ever do a study. It'd be interesting to try to figure out how many surveyors, individual surveyors, are we going to need in the future? Will it be the same number now that we have, or because of advancements and techniques and technologies and all those kind of things, are we going to need fewer? I was in your thoughts on that.
1: Well, I, I do think that uh, we're going to be challenged as a profession. Uh, Because of technology, I mean, technology certainly can be an asset and and an aid, but but it does also impact the the need for numbers. Uh, And and we're going to see continued advancements in technology uh, from, you know, we've gone from mobile scanning to some degree and then soon soon be coming into the unmanned aerial systems, um, which which will allow mapping opportunities to take place, again, uh, with higher efficiency in the field, and more time in the office, but higher efficiency in the field. And I think that's the, that's where the where the answer is. is <clears throat> while we've certainly gone from six-person survey crews, you know, to, to one-person survey crews in many instances, or two-person survey crews, we, that hasn't reduced the need; it's actually increased the need for office folks, for processing people, for project managers, for those. So I think there if the opportunity is going to be there. The focus may change a little bit. We'll we'll see fewer folks in the field with with the advent of GPS, with the advent of robotic total stations, uh, all those kinds of things have reduced that time. I, I remember when I started at the firm, I always said that a project from start to finish was about 70% field time and 30% office time. And today it's the opposite of that. I mean, A, a typical project for us will, will be 35% in the field and 65% of the office. So you see this uh, maybe a smaller need for field staff, but a stronger need for office staff. But I think we've got to be prepared for that. Um, I also think that, that it's it, the more we can promote our profession to younger people. I think the Young Surveyors Network is a marvelous idea, a marvelous organization. I know they just had their meeting in Minnesota, and all the reports I've seen have been phenomenal. That, that they it's doing nothing but a hit, and I think those are the kind of things that will, will help us introduce this marvelous profession to young people and and get them and recruit them into the, the profession we both call our own and, and think the world of.
0: I, I think one of the most encouraging things for me being in that meeting in, in Minnesota last week, and, and I've sat in on a couple of others, but this one seemed to be actually more focused, I think, um, was just the, the level of interest among all those young people, about the, the future of the profession and perpetuating the profession, making it better. Um, I didn't hear anybody talking about, you know, you old guys don't know what you're talking about kind of thing. They, they really honestly were interested in how are we going to maintain our profession and keep it strong and, and as you said, expand our services and, and learn new options. You know, there's so many things out there. It um, makes me wonder sometimes if we're going to get to the point where we go so far afield of, of the boundary surveying, which we should, um, but our licensing laws and exams are focused more around that. Or are we going to end up with more specialty options in surveying, uh, having, you know, having to, to prove your competence through some level of certification or something? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right. I've, I've always felt that, that the profession would evolve similar to the engineering profession, which broke into other disciplines, whether it was civil engineering or mechanical engineering or electrical engineering, Uh, that happened a while ago, a long time ago, but I do see the day when the surveying profession, and we're kind of moving in that direction anyway, now we have a, a certified federal surveyor designation, we have a certified hydrographic surveyor designation, not necessarily a state license, but a different designation, and so that evolution has started, and I think that evolution could continue because of that specialization. And you know, Texas has the two two levels of licensure: state, if I remember, the state registration, state land yep. registration, and a, and, a, and a general registration. So, so some folks already recognize the need to to protect the public's interests by having the right educational tools and and the right examination tools to uh, make sure the folks doing that kind of work are, are truly qualified to do that work, as they do and, in other professions.
0: You know, and absolutely, the, the certifications as I've I've described it, is That's another arrow in the quiver of the surveyor. It's not replacing the surveyor, it's just proving competence in a particular area.
1: Correct. I agree. I agree.
0: And so we and some states have picked up on that. You know, in in my home state of Virginia we have a, a photogrammetry license for surveying that's for photogrammetry only and and um, and other states have picked up on that as you've mentioned. So mm-hmm. I agree that that it's almost inevitable whether I don't think it matters whether we want it or like it, I think it's inevitable that we're going to go
1: that way if we're going to keep the profession strong. I agree. And, and you know, the public really is going to demand that. They're, they're going to demand that, that highest level of, of protection and regard. And our technology is going to, isn't going going to help that either. Well, well, it may be easier to operate something. But the understanding of that technology is extremely important. And it's not simply pushing buttons. It's understanding exactly what's happening, whether whether it's a a toll station, or a transit, or a GPS unit, or, or a unmanned aerial system, or, or whatever the case may be.
0: Which always gets us back to that educational side, and I'm not saying that all education has to come through through college, but we got to get the education, so we're about 30 seconds out from having to go off, so I don't want to fail to thank you for being with me today, John. It's such a great pleasure to have you with me, and you know you're one of my, my dearest friends, and so... Um, as you go off into retirement, I, I want to keep our friendship strong and hope to get up and see in investment sometime soon.
1: I hope so, too, Kurt. And you've always been a, a great friend of me and one of my closest compadres. And, and I hope to hope to see more of you as they get. My wife wants to buy a motor home, so maybe we'll be traveling home. I know. <laughs>
0: there you go. Well, take <laughs> care. I really appreciate you being with me today, John.
4: Thank you, sir. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio.